Hello everyone, welcome back to the B-Sides. This is Ariel Sturman from Bessemer Venture Partners. Today we're gonna to talk about a timely and somewhat difficult topic, navigating choppy market conditions, shifts from hyper growth to hyper efficiency, and how to communicate ongoing changes with your broader team. I'm excited to be joined by Anat Gez, CEO of Papaya Global, a Bessemer portfolio company, to share her experiences both as a leader of one of the fastest growing Israeli startups and as a longtime HR and people entrepreneur. Let's get to it. Thank you so much, Anat, for coming in. Hi, great to be here. A little intimidated. You're a podcast expert. I see you <laughs> popping up everywhere on my LinkedIn feed. So I'll probably give you the reins to one with this, run with this one. And today, we have a lot of things we could talk about with Anat, whether it's remote teams, distributed work, and all the things that Papaya helps enable. But one thing that's top of mind, obviously, for everybody is the changes in the market and leading to this question of how do I optimize for growth, but also for efficiency. And I uh, thought that would be a great topic for us to discuss if you're up for it. Yeah, sure. Okay, awesome. Maybe if you want to give just a quick background on yourself so the audience knows who you are if they don't already. Yeah, so I'm Einat, co-founder and CEO at Papaya, uh, 42 years old, uh, and co-founded the company six years ago. But actually, just before co-founding Papaya, I uh, established two services companies. So... I always say that uh, I learned the hard, hard way how to create a PNL uh, and eventually a business that can need also to kind of get to the profitability line uh, on the very early days. Obviously, I mean, we are uh, running with Papaya for six years now. Uh, Papaya is a global workforce management platform. We are assisting clients to manage their global workforce, all type of workers around the world in over than 160 countries. Growing quite quickly ourselves, uh, so still in a good growth of 300% year over years in revenues and also in manpower eventually. I mean, it kind of goes uh, side by side. Mm -hmm. But I think that the most interesting thing about Papaya that's really relevant to the topic, that in reality, we had kind of two phases to the company. First phase, first three years where we were struggling to raise funds. So we raised less than $5 million while we were constantly growing with clients even there. But we were constantly thinking, how do we do more with less? Because obviously, I mean, the budget was limited. And then the, the next, uh, the, the following two years where we did four funding rounds in two years uh, and raised uh, nearly $450 million. So I think for us currently, I mean, even this period is a bit going back to, to the beginning and think, how do you do things differently? How do you become more efficient? Well, thankfully, you come from somewhat of a background having the services companies that I imagine you were running a profitable P&L on a, on a monthly basis, right? Yeah. Cash in is how you're paying your expenses. You weren't yeah. going the venture route. So you've got the experience to apply here. You know, many, many entrepreneurs, especially in the last couple of years, have only lived in a world where financing is, I wouldn't say easy, but it's very achievable. And you can kind of plan your budget based on how I'm going to get the next round and the next round and the next round. And so now folks are looking back and saying, okay, well, how do I prove efficiency? How do I do more with less? And, and kind of where do I optimize in these areas? Because I don't want to sacrifice on, on growth too much if it means, you know, reducing my year-over-year -year growth by 80% at the expense of um, the rest of the business. So we'd love to kind of maybe drill into some of those topics. And we've been there before, right? So two years ago, the beginning of two and a half years ago at this point, the beginning of COVID, folks had a lot of uncertainty. And there was this moment in, in Q2 2020 where people had to kind of readjust their plans and their forecast. And so what did you guys experience back then? 
So I'll speak about 2020, but then we'll go even like three years before of how we started and how we, we kind of managed the expenses in Papaya on a very, very limited kind of uh, budget in the beginning. But in 2020, we needed to take a rough decision because from one hand, it was the really kind of very first days where we were... We, we had real kind of funding in our bank account because we just finished our Series A. But from the other hand, you know, I mean, the market was shaking. Everyone was kind of cut costs, send everyone home. I mean, dark times are coming. Mm-hmm. And this time, I mean, I think for me it was a very interesting period. I remember those days, obviously, I mean, lots of sleepless nights because I think that you always kind of constantly thinking. And, and I you mean, just had a baby, so. Always, yeah. I had, <laughs> I had a few of them along the years, so yeah. But I think that for me in this kind of period of time, I decided to do something that I, I, I really actually advise to everyone and kind of think with themselves and draw the best case scenario and the worst case scenario and understand where do you stand in between and how do you get ready for both of them? Because first, I mean, it's really easy from one hand to cut cost, right? I mean, sending everyone home, obviously not the emotional part of sending people home, and, and but, but I mean, the practical part, it's an easy process. If you decide, I mean, you execute it and that's it. But in reality, I mean, this might be the end of your business. This might be the end of your company because hiring people again, building, onboarding them, training them again, even building the trust from the people that are, that are still there, mm-hmm. it's very hard. So this is really kind of the end kind of solution. You don't, I mean, it's not a decision that you just take and say, okay, let's see how it goes and, and kind of uh, change it along the way. But from the other hand, kind of the first thing that we did is a turn or switch down all of our marketing campaigns because in reality i mean you just decide that you invest more less currently you said okay maybe the audience is not there currently no one is looking for our services so why should we we invest currently let's first kind of reduce the immediate cost that that cause zero damage or Mm -hmm. limited damage right because i mean everything is there for a reason and then plan ahead. So, And even if you're cutting that top of the funnel marketing, how worried do you need to be about that cascade down, down you know, for the next 6, 12 months on what that's going to do to the pipeline? Yeah, obviously, I mean, it's not that you don't need a plan. So you need, you need to replace it. But we were thinking about, okay, let's think if there are some specific commitment that we can reduce currently. So, for example, I mean, we, we were just planning the, I mean, COVID started about like, end of February, beginning of March, we just gave tons of commitment for exhibitions and so on. And obviously, I mean, at the end of the day, they didn't they didn't happen. But when we were at the same point of time, we didn't know if it's going to happen or not at the end of the year. We said, okay, can we manage without them? And I said, yes. I mean, if we need to bring additional source of kind of funnel or revenues for, and, and, and reduce this currently and, co- and, and reduce this commitment, Let's do it. Let's solve kind of the future state of it afterwards. First, because it's the end of the year, so it's already removing liabilities from your balance sheet. Mm -hmm. And second, because you have enough time to solve the next issues. And also, I I think in those period of times, you get more creative because, you know, I mean... You can do, you can go by the playbook, I mean, uh, invest, like do the marketing things, do the exhibitions things, do all of that, but you can be creative. And I wanted us to kind of have the opportunity to bring everyone together and brainstorm of how do we do more with less. And, um, and, And this is kind of the thing that we did during this period. And some of the decision that we received was actually 
how do we grow? First, it was also COVID. So, I mean, the, um, the challenge was how do we hire people remotely because we need them without meeting them? How do we onboard them remotely? How do we train them remotely? And we thought, uh, how do we hire a group? And how do we hire a group on a low-cost location where the retention will be okay, but even if you, you need to kind of uh, replace people, that's not going to be a huge kind of damage mm-hmm. to the organization. And in reality, that was a good opportunity to kind of look on new locations and say, okay, maybe not necessarily all the team needs to be located in New York, in San Francisco, and so on. Maybe we, should, we, we can find other locations. And I said, I, I'm, I, I'm, we did the same kind of thinking when we started, because in reality, when we started in Israel at the time, I mean, beginning of 2016, we couldn't afford ourselves even to hire a, a development team in Israel. And also, I think at the time, like doing a payroll technology was not exciting enough uh, comparing to other companies around here. So our first really employees were a development team in Belarus uh, mm. at the time. And our support team was actually in Armenia. Why in Armenia? Because I found out that a lot of Armenian people are actually have a, an amazing English. Uh, they've been studying and graduating their university in the US and then they're going back to Armenia. Uh, salaries are relatively low comparing to obviously to develop to, to other developing countries and you'll have a great talent pool so you can always kind of think of other things to do or uh, other ways to get to your target I think that sometimes when I mean we are rushing to our to, to kind of to do the day-to-day and there is a lot of funding on the table and nobody cares about profitability we don't think about how to be more efficient but you can always optimize things you can always think about better ways you don't need to take the top end designer I mean to do everything you can take I mean very talented people to do this and maybe even mm-hmm. the outcome will be better there's a few interesting things there to unpack because on the one hand there's the okay what are the immediate budget items that I can cost that won't damage the personnel here first let's you know what are the extra costs in terms of the marketing spend or other spends and maybe it's the offsites and parties that are out, out of the country or in the country whatever they might be where can I reduce some of that expenditures? So you, you have that, but then you have this idea of like, well, we still need to hire, right? We still need to build the team. We still have these roles that we need to do to read our plans over the next couple of years. And what you said was you may be able to kind of continue hiring one by one for these all-stars, but going after groups of people where you can kind of get an all-in-one acquisition of a team that can do what you need to do and then also service this hub somewhere yeah. else that's cheaper. And did that effectively in Belarus? Is that team kind of still active and focused here or that was actually the old company? No, no, so that was the beginning of Papaya. I mm-hmm. mean, this team is no longer with us. I mean, at, at some point of time, it, it wasn't kind of, it, it wasn't scalable enough. But I think that, for example, if we'll take the, the Austin team that is at, uh, currently almost 100 people at Papaya, it, this, is, this is a group that started, yeah, during COVID because we needed a location, we needed a group. And at the time, we were actually sourcing for companies that are shutting down and we said let's take a group that's used to work together in relatively same industries mm-hmm. and try to onboard them as a group so i mean onboarding will be relatively easy they know how to work with each other so the ramp up will be quicker and uh, we will be able to gain more success with a group that already kind of has uh, their friends and so on so they are kind of coming to papaya together mm-hmm. so it sounds like the first step is buy yourself time and then the second step is but don't forget about the fact that when you emerge from this period of uncertainty, you're going to want to continue to be a healthy business. So how do you lay the groundwork in that regard? And, and 
I agree. And, and I, I would say two things here. So first, you need to assure that you ask the team and the managers and get the leaders to decide and understand because they need to be part of the process. I think even now, I mean, you know, we came to the, to the leadership team and told us, t- tell them, show us how do you become more efficient? And a lot of them, they just immediately kind of, they, they were indicating some expenses in their budget. I mean, this is not a must for me for now. I can cut a bit of this. I can be more, I mean, I can do this. I mean, I can assign this task to someone else and so on. So this is a teamwork. I think if it's coming from kind of from, from the CEO and you are just starting to reduce a uh, workforce, this is, I mean, a, a very kind of get a, a lot of negative impact. Yeah. But if you are assigning the group and telling them, let's just focus on what is important and what is less important, where we can be more efficient. First, people are always will be taking more responsibilities. Mm-hmm. Second, I mean, this is becoming kind of a task that you achieve together. And I would say another thing you said, yeah, let's cut all of the luxuries. I mean, it's still a place where we need to work. We still need to kind of feel that it's fun for us. So, I mean, don't over kind of exaggerate, mm-hmm. okay? I mean, it's okay to say, okay, I'm not going to do a fancy event. I- I'm just going to do something. But people still need to be connected, still needs to be belong. So, I mean, you need to find the balance. I mean, this is, I mean, going from like, yeah, let's have amazing parties and spend mm-hmm. whatever um, uh, uh, money that it's needed on them to, I mean, we won't do anything. It's not the right approach mm-hmm. as well. In the beginning of COVID, how did you communicate not just to the leadership that kind of needed to make some of these decisions around efficiency, but to the rest of the team and sort of communicate certainty or communicate the vision and the clarity and the roadmap ahead. So we decided that we are going to be very, very transparent with the team. And I think that transparency in many cases, I mean, is equal to confidence and to trust of the people because in reality, Nobody had like clear answers, right? Not me, not all of the prime ministers. Of, of I mean, no one had definitely like, not the VCs. <laughs> definitely not the VCs. Uh, so, I was committing to the team for two things. First, that we are going to be very transparent with them if something drastic or critical happens in the business that we need currently to change the, the mindset. And it does not mean that. I will be consulting with them. Or I'm gonna just like throw uh, um, a problem at their table. Tell them, ah, yeah, now let's get panic. I mean, but it means that you are eventually getting it to their knowledge as quickly as possible. Yes, you still need to digest. You still need to understand what you are doing. But for example, if you're losing fifty percent of your clients, they will know, right. right? I mean, they are part of the company, so don't hide it from them. I mean, they know, everybody understands that, I mean, they're doing those. I mean, the worst thing that can happen to a company is that everybody speaks about something while the management does not speak about it. So very, very transparent communication, a lot of confidence. I mean, telling them very clearly, maybe we don't know everything ahead, but we have a good plan for this year. We have a good plan for this quarter. We know that eventually, I mean, the plan is uh, keep the whole team we are going to reduce uh, hiring, for example, but we are not going to uh, terminate any current employees. So clear communication, quite frequent communication because right. people want to hear you. And Especially in a market that's so volatile, like you, what you communicated two weeks ago may be very different than a month later, right? I agree, I agree. And also give them also kind of the, the two sides of the story all the time because 
you know, sometimes as a CEO, I tend to be, I mean, I always look about the things that's not working and the problem that we need to solve and so on. But in reality, I mean, a lot of great things happen. So mainly in those kind of periods, celebrate also the success. So give them something that they understand that this is a great company. A lot of great things happens as well. And yeah, we have things that need to be working. Market is changing. I mean, tons of things can happen. But be try, try to stay equal here and, and not just kind of draw a very, very dark picture. Everybody needs to have a bright future or a kind of a, a way to look in the future and say it's going to be okay. And it's interesting because papaya itself sits in a somewhat of a competitive space, right, that has well-funded companies around it. And almost everyone has to make similar decisions when the market becomes uncertain, when similar dynamics happen. So it's sort of like, you want to keep your foot on the gas because the market's competitive, but you want to stay efficient, but you can't let it up so much so that you kind of let the competition get ahead of you. And like, how do you balance those two things? So, you know, for me, it was a very interesting discussions with myself because I, w- I thought about kind of the decision that I would take if it was like a business, I mean, a service company three years ago. So I would say, okay, I mean, now, I mean, I need to keep the kind of the current status. I, I need to assure that I'm reducing costs, reducing expenses, staying on the safe zone. But when you are in a tech company and when you are eventually developing technological assets, you need to assure that you, you never stop. So, I mean, from my perspective, I mean, if you kind of maintaining the current and you're not developing your tech, that's where everyone's going to be ahead of you eventually. Right. So the tough decision that you need to make here is to assure that you have a very, very focused team, that the roadmap is very clear, but you invest in it. And it's a, it's a large investment as well, because obviously, I mean, R&D is kind of the largest portion of, of expense that you have. But I mean, if you're not investing there, I mean, all of a sudden you find yourself, you, you are becoming a service company. You are not a tech right. company any longer. And a lot of it is then shifting resources and saying, okay, we've got these 12 development teams and product managers working on these 12 different parts of the company, which we've aspired to be able to serve and provide in terms of our offering. But if we had to choose the four most core things, like where do we focus on? How do we shift people just on the same mission and really create that alignment, which comes with that communication and transparency and say, hey, listen, it seems like things are shaking around right now that things are being shaken up but actually no we're just we're just conserving our focus to something very specific i agree and i think that all of us tend to kind of start shifting or or started developing a lot of other channels and innovation channels and new products and so on but in reality you have a core product this is the core product the one thing that you know that is the main thing that your company is doing so in those kind of periods, maybe you don't need all of this innovation around, but you need your core product to be the best in the market. You need to keep this eventually market advantage. So everything that you invest, invest there. I mean, see if you can invest on a lower scale or, or, or much kind of lower cost on, on the innovation route. But in reality, I mean, this, is, this might be a, a risk that you don't need currently. But yeah, never give up on your core product. But then how do you also balance that with like the long term, you know, brand marketing investments, right? Things that pay off 12, 18 months from now, but you don't see that in the next quarter or two in terms of efficiency. Like, how do you balance that? So I think that you always need to invest, but it depends how do you invest. And in reality, this is almost like, uh, you know, I mean, first we are Israelis, you know, we tend to be very creative. Right. So every Israeli that spends some time in the army knows that you always find a way to do things without budget. They give you this crazy task that I'm going to do it. I mean, I have no resources. I have no budget. Mm -hmm. In reality, you do it. So really go back 
to the basic and say, okay, I mean, when I started this company, I didn't, I couldn't spend like million dollars on a year on marketing campaigns. I couldn't. So I found other ways. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I spend more time of doing things kind of on the bootstrap way, you know, like marketing gorilla and so on. But in reality, I mean, they are great. And, and sometimes they are even kind of different than others. Right. Uh, so, so yeah. And yeah, everyone's I, doing the same playbook, but here now we've been forced to, and this has been kind of the Israeli startup experience forever which is like everyone had access to capital but israelis didn't so like how did we create companies that could compete with the u.s when they had the talent and the resources and kind of the brand names and so it's almost like a back to the basics it's almost like we get to like kind of relive our best versions of ourselves here as israeli entrepreneurs i agree and and entrepreneurs in general i always like to to tell a story it's not my story and it, it's for me it was a great experience when we went to our first HR tech show, so we took a super small like startup booth, you know, like it's basically a sign and you are going with your t-shirts. And I saw a group just nearby and they were actually, they, they were taking the same booth. They were also a startup, but they were all wearing, I mean, on, on their t-shirt, like a box, like a carton box. And they were like, we don't have, uh, and they, they wrote like, we don't have money for to, 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 for a booth. I'm a mobile so, booth. Yeah, That's so, so awesome. this, And you know, everybody spoke about them. You know, zero cost, I mean, zero effort, 100% creativity, and they got everyone's attention. So, I mean, find those hacks. Really, this is where the, the places where people remember. Mm -hmm. Honestly, I mean, spending money is always, uh, is sometimes the easiest kind of way, but it's not the, the remarkable way. Right. And, and also just because you have a balance sheet of 50, 100, 200 million dollars, doesn't mean you need to spend that money. It's, it's there to be used effectively, not because... We need to hit a certain level of burn. You know, it's it's I a agree. mistake people have made over the last three years, four years that the market has just kind of rapidly emerged. I agree, and and again, I mean, spending a lot of money does not create brand, does not create a, I mean, does not necessarily a create a great brand awareness. I mean, mm. this is you need to be much more sophisticated. So take the best person or the best advisor to advise you but eventually find the hacks in this industry. Mm -hmm. I keep thinking of, it, it was recently the the passing, the anniversary of the passing of the Lubavitcher Rebbe. And he always spoke about this idea of olive oil is created when an olive is crushed. And that's what allows it to, to, to lighten up, right? Until an olive is crushed, yeah. it can't create olive oil. And that olive oil can then be lit. And it's like this whole experience of, everyone talks about the market crisis and in Hebrew, the mashbev, but it's like, well, here's the opportunity for kind of people to really shine and the best I companies agree. to kind of emerge and say like, yeah, we're being crushed, but now we're showing our potential and really what we're all about, which is not just, oh, we're able to raise VC money at unicorn prices and tell a good story, but it's, we're fundamentally changing a business in a, in a market opportunity and, and we're still here. I agree. And I mean, to be completely honest, I mean, if I'm looking on the last two years, we spend, let's say, 20% of our time in just like fundraising. You know, I mean, it's never just the fundraising. It's not just speaking with VCs. It's the lawyers and it's diligence and it's it's tons of other things around that. So you get a lot of time back <laughs> and now you need to find the best way to invest this time in the business. And I think if you invest this time in the business, I mean, you can create great things. Any other parting pieces of advice for similar companies kind of entering this market and saying, okay, investors are looking for efficiency, public investors are looking for efficiency in order to kind of fundraise again in two years, we need to look like a healthy business. And anything else on your mind? Yeah, I think I, we, we just, uh, I just published a, a blog recently about kind of efficiency hacks for CEOs. So some of them were very simple things, but I think that 
I mean, they're very easy to implement. I mean, they can have quite big impact on, on the balance sheet. Things like, I mean, look on your PTO balance of employees. I mean, either cash it out or offer them or just reduce it. I mean, eventually, yes, we are not at a time where you need to provide unlimited PTO or huge amount of PTOs because in reality, this is, for example, a liability on the balance sheet. Mm. I mean, find the places where you can be more efficient and also communicate this to the team that this is in order to keep the team together, right? Because in reality, I mean, you don't want to be in a place where the obligations that you have on the balance sheets are higher than your liquidation. Right. And it's very hard to fix it on, on a small amount of time. So learn and understand where are the places where you can be more efficient without harming the team. Yes, I mean, don't be afraid of changing policies. This is okay. No one expects currently... The, the things that were here, nobody expected, as you said, to a fancy kind of parties and so on. Even, I mean, some people will feel kind of, I mean, uncomfortable about this. People want to care much, much more about certainty and ability mm -hmm. to kind of, I think that people eventually appreciate management that they care on the long run interest of the company currently. Totally. And I think if you create a culture where everyone feels empowered, like you were saying, and responsible, then from the C-level all the way down to kind of the entry-level employees, people want to make the company succeed, right? And they obviously want to make their paycheck every week and they want their options to be worth something. And they understand that no one is making decisions to sort of get these short-term hacks, but it's really about this long-term play. Like how do we generate the most value four, five, six years from now and make sure that everyone is kind of heading in the right direction? If you can create that culture with transparency, with confidence, then any changes in the operating model or probably going to be accepted or encouraged by the employees. They, they want to believe in the long-term growth. Yeah, I agree. Well, great. Well, thank you so much for coming in. I'll ask you one just personal question, which um, it's always hard because entrepreneurs really are entrepreneurs like through their DNA. But if you weren't an entrepreneur in the HR tech, payroll, fintech landscape, like what would you be doing on the side? <laughs> you want a, the real answer? I would love the real answer. Ah, I would probably spend my time, I mean, learning how to kite and then be a kite surfing instructor or dolphin instructor. I don't, I don't know nothing about dolphin. But do you spend time in the water already or you don't even have time yeah, for that? Yeah, yeah. You do. do. Okay, so yeah. you'll get there. Yeah. Well, time for I, it. I'll get there. <laughs> Eventually. <laughs> when I'm too old. You're, hopefully you're still going to be young but, enough to kite yeah, surf. Yeah, exactly. I said when I'm going to be too old, but that's okay. I'm have you tried there. it and you just want to commit more time to it or you haven't even? Yeah, yeah, I tried it. it. I tried it several times. But this is the kind of sports where the weather dictates your kind of your, your schedule and not the other way around. So, I mean, you know, when it's real self-nullification to, to exactly, the, to the exactly. So I, I'm, I'm having kind of, I'm struggling to, to get, to fit this into my schedule currently. I think it's also like the first sport that Israel ever won an Olympic medal in, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Not kite surfing, but windsurfing. Windsurfing. Yeah. Okay. Kite surfing is different. Yeah. I'll have to look it up. Well, thank you so much again for coming in. Hopefully any listeners, re listeners really kind of, uh, gain something from, the uh, turmoil that they may experience ahead, but it's been really, really exciting to speak with you, Ainat, and thanks for the time. Thank you. Thanks everyone for listening to The B-Sides, the podcast exploring the many tactical and strategic decisions taken by founders and operators at every step of the startup journey. Be sure to subscribe wherever you might be listening, and if you want to share any feedback, you can find me on Twitter at Ariel Sturman. Have a wonderful day.